invite you to turn with me in a Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And our focus this morning will be on verses 24 to 37. I invite you to turn there with me. We are considering prayer today. Prayer. And in this moment, in David's desperation, as his very own son, Absalom, turns on him and usurps the throne from him, David does what many of us do in a time of desperation. He prayed. He called out to God. And it's striking that David does this at this moment because it's been several chapters since we've seen David Name God, think of God, or pray to God. But finally, in this moment, he does. And there is much that we can learn from his example. But I have to be very candid with you that anytime I preach about prayer or talk about prayer, I always feel a little uncomfortable because prayer is something that I struggle with and I know many of us do. And there's a reason that we talk about our prayer life because prayer isn't just something we say at a given moment when we get quiet and put our hands together or close our eyes and utter words. Prayer is a rhythm. It's a lifestyle, or it should be. But I know so many of us can get out of the habit, can get out of the rhythm, and so we need a tune-up from time to time. I do, and I know you do as well. And so if prayer is old to you, if you can't remember a time in your life when you didn't know how to say a prayer, or remember a time when you haven't been praying, well, I hope that this message is a tune-up for you. And if prayer is totally new to you, if it's a mystery, if it's something you don't quite understand or know how to make sense of, I pray that it becomes less of a mystery to you on the other side of this message. And we need to be aware of this danger, that we can say prayers without ever actually praying, right? We can say prayers without ever actually praying. We can say words. We can utter things. But if our heart is not directed Godward, if our mind is not focused on God, well, are we really praying? No. We can even recite the Lord's Prayer and not be praying. So we need to be aware of that danger, that they're saying a prayer and then there's praying, right? And we want to be praying people. So if this helps resolve the mystery or if this is a tune-up, we all need this. And we need to be clear about what the purpose of prayer is. The purpose of prayer is not for us to get what we want from God. The purpose of prayer is not for us to get what we want from God, as if God were a genie in a bottle. The purpose of prayer is for us to verbally and visibly entrust the entirety of our lives, our thoughts, 
our words and our actions to the sovereign care of our heavenly Father. The purpose of prayer is for us to verbally and visibly entrust the entirety of who we are, the entirety of our lives, to the sovereign care of our Heavenly Father. So what does that look like? Let's read together, beginning at verse 24. As David and those who remain loyal to him are making their way east of Jerusalem toward the Mount of Olives. They've crossed the Kidron Valley, and we're told in verse 24, Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the ark of the covenant of God. They set down the ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Do you understand? Go back to the city with my blessing. Take your son, Ahimaaz, with you, and also Abiathar's son, Jonathan. You and Abiathar return with your two sons. I will wait at the fords in the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. Pausing there. So in the procession, as David is making his way out of Jerusalem, we have the priests, what remains of the priesthood. You'll recall that many of the priests were killed at the hands of the previous king, Saul. But these are the priests that remain, and they are entrusted with carrying this golden box that symbolized God's presence with his people, the Ark of the Covenant. And they're offering sacrifices. This is a striking image as as they're leaving Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people. They're worshiping. They're offering sacrifices. They're summoning God to help them. And when David sees the ark, he says, don't take the ark with us. Keep it in Jerusalem. And I want you to go with it and stay with it. Now, why in the world would David say that? Why wouldn't he want the ark of God with him? And if you recall back in 1 Samuel 4, there's this story of how Israel is at war with the Philistines, and when they start to lose on the battlefield, they say, you know what we should do? Let's bring the ark out here with us. Then God will be with us, and we'll win, right? And so they bring the ark out, and what happens? They're routed, (laughs) and the Philistines capture the ark of the covenant, and they take it with them, and they put it in their temple. Of course, that doesn't end up so well for them either. But what we see in Israel and what we are so prone to do is to think that somehow we can use God for our own ends. And we're told we can talk to God, we can ask, seek, and knock. Well, we're all in, right? I'm all in. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 
yeah, I, I, I want a means. I want access to God, the all-powerful God who can do anything, for whom nothing is impossible. But that is not David's attitude. And what you and I need to remember is that prayer begins with a surrendered heart. Prayer begins with a surrendered heart. This is the starting point. And for David, he says, the ark belongs in Jerusalem, the city of God. Whether I'm there or not, I don't control God. God doesn't answer to me. I answer to God. And if God chooses, if it pleases God, He will bring me back. But I want you to keep the ark in Jerusalem. Undergirding what David does here is the firm conviction that God is sovereign. God is in control. God governs our lives and this universe. And it's not the other way around. We can't manipulate God. We can't twist God's arm. We shouldn't try to test God. God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this. God, if you just give me this one chance, I promise I'll be a better person. But all of us can fall into that trap from time to time to think that somehow we can get something from God. Remember, the purpose of prayer is not for us to get something from God. Whatever we want. God is sovereign. He is in control. And he says, very candidly, if God chooses not to bring me back, if God says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Do you believe that God is really sovereign? And do you believe that God is really good? David says, let him do to me whatever seems good to him. God defines what is good. I don't, you don't, we don't. God defines what is good. And sometimes things that look horrible from our perspective are things that God in his sovereign providence has allowed or caused. And God will always do what is right. Trust him to not only be sovereign, but to be good even when you don't see what that good is in your circumstances. Consider those words from Job. Even if He slays me, even if it pleases God, even if it is good in God's eyes for me to not live another second on this earth, I will trust God to be sovereign and to be good. Wow, can you say that? But our natural way of thinking is, of course, what is best is for me to be alive, for me to have a long life and a comfortable life and a prosperous life. And so that's clearly what God should want, right? Oh no. Learn from David. Prayer begins with a surrendered heart saying, God, you are God. You are good. You are right. I'm not. Can you say that today? But also remember this. That God uses means 
to accomplish his ends. David doesn't just say, if God's not pleased with me and he doesn't bring me back, so be it. He'll do what's right. He also makes a plan. You see what he's doing? He sends the ark back with the priests and he tells them to be his informants. David's not just giving up. He hasn't just resigned himself to say, all right, Absalom, I guess the, the throne is yours. Oh, no. He's willing, if that's God's will, for that to happen. He is fully ready to embrace that and accept that reality if he's not to live anymore, if he's not to be king of Israel anymore. But he also has God's promises to him. And God's promises, as described in 2 Samuel 7, are that God is going to make a great kingdom an eternal dynasty out of David's household. He has that promise from God. And so he acts in alignment with that. He doesn't just give up, even though circumstances are telling him the political realities on the ground are that Absalom's about to be king. He makes a plan to gather counterintelligence. He has his priests and he tells them, I'm going to be waiting at the fords in the wilderness. And I'll be waiting for word to come to me. Now, how different is that from how we think about things? We talk about let go and let God, and we say, okay, God, I believe you're God. I'm not. I'm just going to stand back and watch. (laughs) Okay, I prayed about it. I guess that's all I can do. Oh, no. David is strategic. He makes plans. Not plans that just come out of his own mind, though. Plans that are consistent with God's promises to him, what God has said to him, what God has revealed to him. He acts in accordance with that. He makes a way for him to come back if that's God's plan. So surrender your heart. Trust that God is sovereign. Trust that God is good. But remember that God uses means, including our planning, including our works. God uses that. This isn't inconsistent. This isn't contradictory. We need to be responsible. We need to do our duty before God. Amen? Next, having sent the priest back, we pick up our reading in verse 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads, too, and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. David ascends the Mount of Olives, and everything about his appearance represents repentance. He is fully aware that the reason so much of this is happening is because of his own sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, when he then had Uriah, her husband, murdered, he is fully aware that even though God told him, your sins are forgiven, I'm going to cover this over, there will be consequences. You will reap what you have sown, David. And so, so much of what's happening here, what's transpiring, is a result of David's sin. And so he is repenting. He's weeping. He's barefooted. What a humiliating 
This is the king of Israel. How humiliating. But the people are with him. And then, to just twist the knife in even further, he's told Ahithophel is among the conspirators. One of his very own, someone who broke bread with him, one of his own friends has joined in the conspiracy. Oh, the betrayal, the hurt. So what does he do? He prays. It's a brief prayer, but it packs a punch. Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. What we need to see here is that prayer includes verbal requests. Prayer includes verbal requests. Now that may seem obvious. What else is prayer other than saying words, right? It has to be verbal. But how often do you use the excuse, well, I was praying in my heart, (laughs) right? I don't actually need to say anything. How often when someone shares a burden or a prayer concern, do you say, well, I'll be praying about that, but you don't actually pray about that, either with them or later? Be honest. Be honest. Verbal requests. Say the words. This is vitally important. Now, that being said, can you pray in your heart? Should you be praying in your heart? Absolutely. There are going to be times, you're, maybe you're driving your car. I don't know where you are. Maybe you can't actually utter a prayer at the moment. Maybe you don't even have the words. You don't even really know how to pray or what to pray. That's okay too. That's okay. But don't use that as a substitute or as an excuse to keep you from verbally making requests to God. David was honest about his needs. He was vulnerable. He knew he needed to repent. He knew that he had sinned. And he is forthright with God about that. But how often do we sometimes think, you know, God's so big. God's so busy. I don't want to bother God with my little issue, my little burden. You ever thought that way? God's too big to be concerned with this thing in my life right now. And it's a kind of false humility. And we hide behind that and it keeps us from engaging and connecting with our Heavenly Father. Verbally, say the words. If you're angry, say the words. God is big enough to take it. I promise you. And if you doubt that, just read the Psalms. David is angry sometimes. The psalmists are angry sometimes. And they're angry about their circumstances. And sometimes they're angry at God. Be vulnerable with Him. He can take it. Now, you don't want to stay there. You don't want to get stuck there. But sometimes that anger is a step, a stage along the way toward real healing. Don't minimize that. Be honest with God. Also, be specific. Be specific. Sometimes we think, well, you know, God already knows what I need before I even ask Him. I don't, I don't really even need to utter the words. We can just kind of utter a generic Hail Mary or just, just kind of a generic request. No, look how specific David's prayer is. God, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Thwart his plans, torpedo his purposes because they are evil. Not just because they're against me and what I want and what's good for my kingdom. No, Ahithophel is working with Absalom. 
He is working in a way that is contrary to God's revealed will. So God, frustrate him. And you'll notice he doesn't pray against Ahithophel's personhood. He prays against Ahithophel's counsel. Big difference, right? Big difference. But he's very specific. Be specific when you pray to God. Name that issue. Name your feeling. Whatever it is. But also be humble. Be humble. Realize that this really isn't about you. The universe really doesn't center around you, despite how we may feel and act sometimes. Be humble. And I want to give the example, if we go back to Psalm 3 that I read at the beginning, this psalm that is attributed to this very scenario in David's life when he was fleeing from Absalom. If you continue the reading past where I stopped, we read this, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. If you spend any time in the Psalms, you know that you will come across Psalms like this. The fancy term for them is imprecatory Psalms. Psalms that call for God's judgment and wrath against enemies. And we stumble over this and we think, I can't say that. That seems so unchristlike. How can I pray that? Well, Jesus prayed these Psalms too. And what we need to remember is that we're not the ones striking. We're not the ones taking vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So he's praying for God to be the judge in his good and holy wrath against evil and sin. And God's wrath and anger against evil and sin is good. It is good. But also, in the fullness of God's revelation, we know that our real enemies aren't Ahithophel or Absalom or whoever it is in your life. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Right? While Ahithophel and Absalom may be agents of that, and they may be deceived into acting that way, we need to be humble enough to acknowledge that's not really our enemy. What really counts in the grand scheme of things is God's mission. Not me, not just my church, not just your life. Do you have a vision that that's that big? Can you be that humble before God to say, God, here's the way I see it. Here's what I think needs to happen. Here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm praying for. But God, I'm going to surrender to your will, whatever it is. And I'm going to trust that your will will be done. And I'm going to ask that you would win, that your purposes, that your will, that your mission would triumph in the end. And if Ahithophel wins, so be it. But from where I stand, it looks like his purposes are evil. Be honest. Be specific. Be humble before God when you make verbal requests. But say the words. But here again, we see David doesn't just pray. He does as he prays. Picking up our reading in verse 32. When David arrived at the summit, where people used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, Your majesty, I will be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past. 
and now, now I will be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Won't the priests Zadok and Abiathar be there with you? Tell them anything you hear in the king's palace. Their two sons, Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, and Jonathan, son of Abiathar, are there with them. Send them to me with anything you hear. So Hushai, David's confidant, his friend, arrived at Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. Remember, prayer begins with surrendered heart. It includes verbal requests, and it is accompanied by visible actions. Visible actions. He doesn't just say, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. He makes a plan for that very thing to happen through Hushai, his friend, who comes on the scene right now. Visible action. Do as you pray. There is no contradiction between asking the Lord to do something and then working to make it happen. But how often do we act like, well, I've prayed about it. I've given it to God. It's in His hands. I'm just going to stand back and wait for an epiphany or wait for some magical thing to happen. No. Pray and then act on it. Work for that. Are you praying for your children's salvation, your grandchildren's salvation? That's wonderful. Tell them about Jesus as the opportunity arises. God uses means. He uses our actions to accomplish His purposes. And so to do that, we need to see the resources that God puts right in front of us. It's no coincidence that right after David prays this, here comes Hushai. Lo and behold, here comes the answer to his prayer. And sometimes the answer to your prayer is right in front of you. And so what we need to be praying for is not some new revelation from God. God has spoken fully and sufficiently in his word. We don't need new revelation. What we need is for God to take the blinders off of our eyes and off of our hearts so that we see what He has provided, the good gifts and the resources that are right in front of us. Are there times where you just have to let go and let God? Absolutely. Sometimes it is out of your hands. You've done everything you can do. There's nothing else to be done. But, but, make sure that you've exhausted all of your resources that God's put in front of you. Open your eyes. Who is your Hushai right in front of you? Act on that. Act on that. What are the resources that God has provided to a church to make strategic plans? Who are the people that God has put into your life to help you and to guide you? Don't overlook them. See the resources and the gifts God provides. And then work for it. Strive. Make a plan. Be strategic. Be shrewd. Look at how shrewd David is. He, he puts Hushai right in the middle of his enemy's Council. <laughs> but as we look at David and we learn from him, we remember that the greatest model of what it looks like to pray isn't David. It's David's greatest son, our Lord. 
who around 1,000 years after this, found himself in the exact same place, crossing the Kidron Valley with his disciples, knowing that one of them was ready to betray him. One who was right there beside him. One who broke bread with him. He was going to betray him. And Jesus ended up in the same place on the Mount of Olives in a place called Gethsemane. And what does he do? He prays. He says, God, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. All things are possible with you. If there is any other way, please. He made specific and honest and humble requests to his heavenly Father. But right alongside that request, he uttered those famous words, but not my will, but yours be done. And then when he sees his betrayer coming, and he is completely abandoned by his disciples, he says, rise, let us go. He embraces the cross. Not for good people. Not for his own sins. He had none. But for sinners like you and like me. And so if in your life you find yourself questioning the sovereignty of God and thinking, why in the world is God allowing this? If you find yourself questioning the goodness of God and saying, God, why, why would you allow this right now? I thought I knew you, God, but I, I feel like I don't now. Turn to Jesus. And if the thought of Jesus doesn't lead you to pray, to cry out to God, to make requests to Him, I don't know what will. Because the Lord Jesus has made it possible through His righteous life, His atoning death, and His triumphant resurrection for us to approach God boldly with confidence. Whatever we're feeling, whatever we're facing, Turn to him and look to Jesus. God has proven his love for sinners like you and like me in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him as Lord and as Savior? I pray that you would and that we would all turn to him in our time of desperation and need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we confess that we are not worthy to enjoy fellowship and communion with you. We confess that we have fallen short of your glory in the things we've said, in the things we've done, and in the things we've thought. And we praise you that you are a God whose heart 
beats for sinners. And that if we have any doubt about that, we don't have to look any further than the Lord Jesus Christ who is present with us now through the Holy Spirit. Allowing us to see the beauty and the goodness and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. To show us that He is everything we are not. And so I pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts right now, we wouldn't just utter more words. We wouldn't just seek the flattery of other people. We wouldn't try to just be eloquent. We wouldn't worry about how we sound to other people. But that we would pour out our hearts, even if all we can pour out is a groan. Lord, we don't just want to say prayers. We want to pray. We want our hearts to be directed and aimed toward you because you are the source of all good. You're the source of all love, all comfort, and all peace. And we can receive those precious gifts by turning our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ. May we do that today. And may we remain faithful to him, come what may. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.